Roger. Yeah, I think it's pulling the wrong one. I'm just... Okay, I'm ready to pull it down now. There was still a little bit uh, left in the... Okay, don't hold it quite so tight. Okay. 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 Hi, welcome to the podcast. This is how it's going to start. Welcome to Live to Tape podcast here with the man Kevin Tipcorn, also known as Jason Pepperhouse, also known as, um, God, what's the new one called? Something really good. God, I can't think what it is. I think maybe it's... um, I think maybe it's Brevin Guest Ranger. That's not Guest Stranger. It's Brevin Guest Ranger. That's my new name. Here we are on live to tape. It's a new edition. It's a new episode. Uh, here, nothing's changed, but everything's changed. I'm constantly on the up and mend and envelopes opening up to reveal yet another envelope here. Even though I said envelope differently twice in the same sentence, which kind of is more about me and in terms of why can't I settle on a way to say envelope instead of envelope because I just honestly I'm not really sure how I say the word anymore. I think maybe it's something like uh, envelope. If you say it that way, you can call it an envelope. It's an, it's an envelopment of an envelope. We're enveloping the pronunciation of envelope as we go here on Live the Tape, also known as Daddy's Big Red Truck where you're always welcome to take a big old step inside the executive buffet. If you wish to support the podcast, please rate and review and subscribe. Subscribe being the most important, so I should say subscribe, review, and rate. I would prefer you to do things in that order and then stop incrementally down the line. Also, if you really want to support the podcast and get more goodies, including uh, first dibs on merchandise at uh, sometimes deeply discounted rates, we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash live to tape. Uh, go ahead and check that out at the website, patreon.com slash live to tape. Have a wonderful podcast here for you today. I'm not even going to introduce it. I'm just going to let it introduce itself here, right now, only on this, that, with, which you understand and enjoy for the one time special good. Yes, find it, be. Here we are on a special outside edition of Live the Tape with Johnny Pemberton. My guest is Alex Levine of Podtoons. It's Levine. Thank Levine. you. Levine. Okay, see, you know what? That was that had to happen. It's okay. It's yeah. 50-50. No one gets it, it right. Well, I guess half of the people get it right, but it's always a guess, so it's no problem. I have a friend who's an actor, uh, Paul Edelstein, and I think I'm saying that wrong. <laughs> I've had him on the podcast. He's like, you know, we've worked together for entire show, but it's still like, I always, his is very specific. I think there's three ways to say his name and I always get it wrong. Well, you know, I think Levine, Levine, I don't know. Levine has a little bit more of a nasal sound to it. It does. I don't like as much. So I like Levine. Levine implies a vine. 
Right, the vine, which yeah. is which is great. You right, know, the vine. You know, fits. And totally. You know, people have said divine, which I don't love either, but right. it's better than divine, which doesn't really yeah. mean anything. Because then you're sort of like, you don't get the, even get the, the enjoyment of divine. Right. You're, just, you're negating everything about it that's good. Yeah, so it's not my fault. You know, I think we were Lefkowitz at Ellis Island. Oh, wow. So uh, deep in my past, someone renamed, I think it was my great-grandfather... Because uh, they had never seen Lefkowitz. Yeah. And they were like, well, you're, you're Levine. That's probably like American Tale as well. I think that his name was Mouskowitz in that <laughs> movie. I, I don't think we're related, but it's possible. <laughs> yeah, possible. there's some inspiration there. Um, we were just talking. I was just showing you some of these, uh, these plants I'm growing. Beautiful plants and, you um, And I was uh, talking about how two of them have already started to flower pretty heavily. And yeah. it's not even, not even uh, the solstice yet. Yeah. Well, the equinox or the solstice? The uh Well, it's the solstice. Solstice of the 20th, right? Yeah. The equinox is when they s- kind of, you start being able, to, that's when the days are even, okay. you know, in March when it's 12-12. Right. And it's really after the equinox that you can start planting um, outside. Right. Okay. But it's tricky. It's definitely yeah. tricky. This is my actually first time ever doing this. I've been gardening a long time, like pretty aggressively for about 10 years. It's the first time doing marijuana, and it's like, I can't believe how fun it is. Also because they are the toughest plants I've ever encountered. It's like everything yeah. else wants to be coddled, but they just can, like, yeah, you can beat the shit out of them. Well, I mean, the truth is they both, you can beat the shit out of them, and they'll still produce, but if you do coddle them, they make the best right. stuff. Right. <laughs> so. That's what's interesting to me is this the uh, how they have that real wide... Um, they can just handle a lot. They have like a real. Yeah. Well, I mean, people always like to say, you know, it's a weed. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that's really true when you talk about the kind of strains that that people are growing these days. It's not a weed. It's a very carefully bred uh, and cultivated. Yeah, you know, it's super plant. carefully. But it, they're, they're robust. That's for sure. You know, I've seen I've seen plants on the edge of death come back and produce, you know. But they, there's nothing better than if they have a great life from start yeah. to finish. So how did you get into the whole the whole thing? It seems it seems like you've done a lot of different things. I've read a little bit about your history, mm-hmm. but uh, you've you uh, you started off. Well, you want to just walk me through, give uh, listeners like a real brief rundown of sort yeah. of your, sure, your personal sure. history as far as uh, sure. how so, you got to where you are today. Yeah. Um, so originally I'm from Boston, mm-hmm. and I I went to Harvard, got an electrical engineering degree. Um, and I lived in New York for 10 years, where I worked in the recording industry um, as a studio engineer and, and record producer at first. I uh, worked at Sony Music Studios um, and got to see some amazing stuff. That studio doesn't exist anymore, but it was the top of the line yeah. back then. And, you know, I got to be on sessions with Michael Jackson and Mariah Carey and The Boss, so... Damn. It was an amazing experience. Yeah, it's like the uh, the most uh, most people have more royalties than like half the population. Basically, it was amazing. But I definitely was bottom of the totem pole in those yeah. situations. So um, I got uh, shat on fairly fairly often, and I ended up deciding to leave the music industry because it just didn't seem. Um, and a- after I did my like, I think they put me on the night shift for eight months or something, oh, wow. and I was like, you know. Uh, I this can't be my life forever. Yeah, that's so, rough. So I went. I I uh, ended up uh, 
running technology for Time Magazine for a while um, in New York, and then I started a, a dot-com. During the dot-com boom, mm -hmm. and basically it was like Twitter, but it was uh, 1999 when we started wow, it. Wow, that's interesting. There's so many things back then that were great, but they were just slightly too ahead of their time, you know? Yeah, you know, I, I regularly feel like I'm a little bit ahead of my time in uh, an unadvantageous way. Yeah, so. I've felt that way a lot of times, too, and it's something where, well, what can you do? Right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you're just going with what you feel and what you yeah. know. And then people are like, oh, you were ahead of your time. I'm like, well, I mean, I, I thought I saw it coming. I just didn't get the timing quite right. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that company actually, uh, I, I ran it for, oh, I don't know, it's like five years. And then um, it kept going for 12 years. Mm -hmm. um, but our original angel investor became twi one of Twitter's angel investors, too. So it was a very similar uh, yeah. platform. And actually, it was a little bit more sophisticated, but... You know, Twitter, I guess, did it better. So that's all right. I left there uh, in 2004 and moved here to Los Angeles and um, discovered the world of, of medical marijuana. Right. Um, you know. So that was a, that, I moved, you said 2004? Yeah, I moved here in about 2005. And I think it was only probably two or three years after that when stuff started to get really, I can't remember. Do you remember what year it was legalized for medical well, use? So the medical was back in 96. Oh, it was that old, really? Yeah, okay. and then in 2004, they passed um, SB 420, which basically created the whole um, way that dispensaries could actually function. Right. Um, and so really, you know, L.A., I think when I moved here, had like five dispensaries. Mm -hmm. And even then, I was like, I'd, I'd uh, you know, I'd been in New York uh, on September 11th, and my office was just a couple blocks away, and I had to deal with all that. And I'm not from New York, so I didn't feel like I had to stay. Right. I actually felt like uh, maybe I need to get out yeah. of here. Took a while to extricate myself, um, but once I moved here, you know, I I was I was like, yeah, this is the place for me. Yeah. Pretty much right away. Mm -hmm. um, but you know. Back then, I still was kind of like when I got introduced to medical marijuana here in California, I was like, oh, shoot, they might – I don't want to be on any lists. I don't want to show my yeah. ID. So I had a friend. He would go to the dispensary. He had a script, and he would go to the dispensary mm -hmm. for me. And then eventually I was like, this is a joke. Like, I need to be in there myself. Yeah, it's like it was – it felt like it was dangerous, but then you realize that it's just – you're, there's safety in numbers too. Yeah, and it was like the we're back then. It was like a handwritten ledger at a doctor's office. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah, I think I, I had one of the early ones. Yeah, I was like, you know, what are the chances that anybody pours over any of this and decides to bust all the patients? Yeah, I mean, it just seemed implausible. It's and like a low blow too. You kind of like oh yeah, going well, after they, people who need it the least. They were definitely down with low blows back then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, in the early days. You know, you'd go to a dispensary. There are a couple times when I went to dispensaries and just avoided um, the DEA raid wow. and watched guys run in with, you know, M16s and shotguns and just put people on the ground. Jesus You know, Christ. like sick people yeah. who want some weed. So it the was first, awful. The first place I ever went to, I remember going to the lounge after buying some. And I was like, the people in there seemed truly like they were very sick. They're having a good time. But yeah. a lot of people were like, 
yeah, this person is uh, definitely needs this more than I do, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, there were always lots of genuinely sick people. Mm -hmm. who, but, you know, the truth is that there's lots of people who you can't tell what makes them sick. Exactly, yeah. And so there'd always be back then these complaints, oh, well, I've seen the dispensaries. They're full of young men who look healthy. <laughs> and I'm like, well, who, you don't know why they're smoking weed. And yeah. the California law basically said, you know, if it makes your headaches feel better, you name it. If it makes your anxiety better, you can smoke it. So if you're looking at a bunch of people standing in line, you know nothing about why they might mm -hmm. uh, use medical marijuana. So for you, is it something where you were always interested in marijuana, like from like a young age? Yeah, I mean, I started, uh, I was introduced to it. Uh, my sister brought some back from Mexico, actually. Really? When I was in high school. Old school. I mean, this was back when you didn't need to show ID to get on an airplane, right? Yeah, so. I remember that. I was like, we used to call that, we used to get, we in high school called Mojave Red because it was just like this dark green, dry. Like well, yeah, you, you were in Minnesota? Minnesota, yeah. Yeah, you had that Boston, same Boston weed was terrible. Yeah. Just garbage. And yet, you'd spend that time cleaning the seeds and the stems out and you'd roll yourself up something it worked great yeah it wor <laughs> i usually needed like a half beer to really yeah. get it working you know yeah <laughs> but that's why when i came here it was obviously paradise you know yeah i i, I had always been i had always preferred pot to alcohol okay you know i i knew it was illegal uh and so that was a bummer, mm -hmm. but um of course when in high school alcohol is illegal too so right. that doesn't really matter so it's matter. sort of almost the same but it spoke to me for sure, and um, it helped me feel better, you know, when I felt sick. Yeah. So to me, it seemed like night and day compared to alcohol, which invariably made me feel bad mm -hmm. um, eventually. <laughs> yeah, it's always like there's most people are either or. They're either like yeah. predominantly weed, predominantly alcohol. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like there's there are two choice, two personality choices. Yeah, I you know the fact is I love beer and I love the the process of of making beer and I love hops, which are marijuana's Cousins. closest yeah. relative, right? Um, but I can't drink; it makes me feel terrible. So for a while, I used to be really into visiting all the breweries and yeah. and trying the hoppiest of the hoppy beers, and and then eventually I just had to recognize that I felt bad the next day and i just couldn't justify it anymore yeah. so now i don't drink at all okay um and in not drinking at all you really see the difference between the drinkers and the smokers you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but you know hey whatever works yeah so you got into so you were always a weed guy yeah. growing up and when you moved here you you know started going to dispensaries and stuff but what got you into like wanting to work in the industry yeah well <laughs> I think, uh, you know, when I first arrived in L.A., uh, I, was, I was trying out different things and, and figuring out what I was going to do. You know, I had spent all my time working in New York uh, for 10 years straight. And uh, so, I w in a way, I was trying to kick back. But I ended up getting kind of sick, and um, I ended up really needing medical marijuana mm -hmm. like it really helped me and so one day after I had gotten up the nerve to get my own prescription you know we're talking like 2005 um, a dispensary opened up one block from my house wow. and I was 
I went. I, w- I was like, this can't be really happening. This is like a dream come true, you know. I've moved to California. It's every day is beautiful, and now there's a weed shop on my street. Right. So I headed over, and they had you know seventy varieties, um, and I was like blown away, and I felt like you know I had I was in Nirvana. You know, yeah. it was just amazing, and so. I, I've I've got so into I started nerding out really hardcore on strains on on just everything about understanding where the different strains came from on Earth and mm-hmm. and what the different potential effects were and you know I got into the terpenes and entourage effect and all that you know really early on I was obsessed and then I was like you know. You know that whole logic. It's just a weed. I right. should I should try it. I should I should try growing it. And you know, I hadn't been a green thumb uh, person in mm-hmm. my life, but part of it was just because of my background. You know, I my I had an engineering degree, and you know, the stuff that you end up doing with engineering is software, hardware, and has nothing to do with bio- biology right. most of the time, right? But there is some sort of a correlation there, isn't there? Well, in some I mean, sense, like in terms of like, like, I feel like that's what you're about to say. It's like there's sort of like this. If you're thinking about the way things are constructed and the way electricity is, well, electricity kind of has like a ethereal life, for sure. similar to a plant. Where sometimes I do think about plants as being sort of biological computers. Well, that's right. I mean, you buy a pack of seeds, and it says it's going to do, it's going to output something, and as long as you input the right stuff, right. you're going to get. A cucumber out of it um so yeah there's an element of that you know what i kind of think of it more like uh photography is to art okay so like if you're if you're a, a pure artist if you are you know a painter mm-hmm. or you like to uh your sculptor those things really they have technical components but really once you get your gear set up it's this almost purely artistic endeavor mm-hmm. photography is more like a mix of science and art. Right. And I was always really into photography, too. So with with growing weed, it really was a combination of science and biology. And, yeah. you know, the engineering aspect of it, of course, you know, once I started growing, it was all indoors. And so it's very much about HVAC and electricity. Yeah. And, you know, so in that sense... Those are actually pretty simple versions of, you know, electrical engineering can be exceedingly complex, you know, designing microchips or something like that. So, you know, designing lights, setups to grow plants is not. Yeah, is it's not, not as so complicated hard. as a microchip. But it definitely helps to have um, the engineering mindset, which is really one for problem solving. And I think all, all growers, all good growers, um, are really good problem solvers. Yeah. Um, you get all kinds of problems thrown at you all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you search for, often indoors, you search for technical solutions. Um, so it definitely spoke to me. I felt like um, I had spent my life up till that point, you know, the dot-com company was like Twitter. So that would talk about, you know, ephemeral. It was just this little messages that go out and essentially... 
ultimately I felt like they were just wasting people's time. Like mm -hmm. they could have been doing something else and instead they spent time sending text messages. Yeah. And, and so uh, it, it didn't really work. Like I didn't feel like, yeah, this is... You weren't satisfied. No, it wasn't, it wasn't right. And, and it, I thought back to when I used to make music, which was like, you know, you could spend time with a band, record a song, realize it's the best song on the record, you're all sitting there in the studio with the lights out listening to the final mix like, mm -hmm. oh my God, it's a hit. And then it gets out there, people start listening to it, and it takes on a whole new meaning for the people who listen. Right. And, you know, maybe the band wrote it because, you know, the lead singer broke up with his girlfriend. But then you listen to it and you have no idea what it's about. It reminds you of that great summer you had in Maine or something, uh -huh. right? And so I always loved the way that music could take emotion from one person and kind of distribute it out to tons of other people without dictating the terms on yeah, which... Yeah, you're allowed to interpret it how you want. However you, can, you want. It's yours to do with what you... What yeah. you want, you can feel however you want to feel about it, and it can have deep meaning for people. Mm -hmm. um, in a way that I did, I felt like the text messages were just, you know, just meaningless. Yeah. So, and that's not true. That's not an accurate assessment. I think a lot of the messages in Twitter go to show you that it is those messages can be incredibly important, but it's just not was no longer interesting to me. And the idea of being able to make incredible weed mm -hmm. that you know, because I was such a fan, I knew that nothing beats getting some really great weed. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> you look at it and you're like, oh, hell yeah, let's smoke this, whatever. Like, I can't wait. And or you give it to someone and they're like, oh, thank you. You know, everyone's psyched. Yeah. Um, and and to, to be able to make something that makes people that psyched, that's that reminded me more of of music and then there's also just the uh, concept that you're slaving away in your work environment and you create something and then you just send it out there mm -hmm. and people use it completely on their own terms you have no idea what they're doing with it but they come back for more because they love it and it speaks to them yeah so it's supremely satisfying that makes a lot of sense yeah I'm, I've, I've thought about that a lot in terms of just when I garden like I love being able to grow there's a lot of stuff that i grow that i do not eat but i love being able to give it to people just to be like uh -huh. like do you grew this I'm like yeah and if you like it if you like habaneros here they are i can't eat them but it's like nice. yeah yeah and that's so to me i mean it's a, not the same it's similar type of thing where it just it is there's something about that you feel so much ownership but it's also this thing where it's almost like you're like shepherding something into existence that you can give to someone else that they they get so much joy out of it. It gives me a lot of joy anytime you can, you yeah. can give someone something. Like you know, what? it's a little bit like cooking. Yeah. Right. You know, you cook for other people, and they don't know what you did, and they just appreciate how great it tastes right. if you got it right or whatever. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, and that can be s super satisfying. And of course, the flip side, if people don't seem to like it, is really it's devastating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But with plants, it's different. A lot of the time, I'd say people. Because, you know, there was a time when this was a country of farmers and 90% mm -hmm. of the population knew how to grow plants. Oh, yeah. But now we're at like 2%, 5% knows how to grow plants or it's something. It's crazy. Like, there's always people who will get super impressed by stuff I grow, and I'm like, look, I'm really not that good at this. And also, maybe two generations ago, this was completely normal. Like, every single person 
would be like, yeah, I have a kitchen garden. Of course, I'm a sure. human. Sure. I li I don't live. If you don't live in a city, if you have access to any space whatsoever, especially like in the Midwest, everyone cans. Oh, it just like goes without saying. It was not not special at all. Yeah. It's not even interesting, really, for the most part. It's just been completely replaced by modern capitalism, yeah. you know? So it's like it's just easier to get some pickles at the store. Uh -huh. A lot easier. <laughs> a lot easier. Than to make them. Mm -hmm. so, but the, thing, the nice thing about all these things, whether it's pickles or growing your own weed, it, there's the feeling of satisfaction, even if you don't give it to somebody else. You right. know, the feeling of satisfaction when you consume it at the end is, is so real that especially in the sort of quarantine uh, era in the COVID yeah. era, it's like, okay, you know, it's hard to get satisfaction like At you all. used to get, right? Right, but you can get a different kind of satisfaction. I feel like literally all of my friends are making sourdough bread now. Yeah, that's a big thing right now, isn't it? Yeah, I love sourdough, mm -hmm. but I eat so much that I don't think I can make it fast enough. You'd have to have like whole production line. Yeah, and my oven would always be on, mm -hmm. and like my house hot as hell. I'm just sweating. No thanks. So. I still buy it, but my friends are like, you know, sharing pictures of like perfect loaves with yeah. me all the time. I'm like, oh, Jesus, okay, I guess maybe I need to start making sourdough. Mm -hmm. Maybe I will. I mean, I like I make my own yogurt. Oh, really? Yeah, I love oh, it. Oh, cool. I'm a I'm a huge. Uh, I mean, I talk about the podcast all the time, but like I almost eat yogurt almost every single day. Oh, I me love too. this uh, sheep's milk yogurt they make up in Sonoma from this place called Bellwether Farms. Sure. Jesus Christ, that is the that is the best. Something about the sheep's milk, I, talk, I mean I talk about it all the time, but it's mm -hmm. it's the best of all the worlds because the goat has that you know it's goat has Touch that goat goaty. taste, yeah. and the it's just the best taste. It's like the perfect intersection between goat and cow, and it has like all these all these um. All the health benefits of it and also the nutritious aspect of it is higher than anything else. It's mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah. Well, it's actually much more absorbable. I mean, both goat and sheep share yeah. uh, the sort of fat profile that's different from cow. Really? Is that what that is? Mm hmm So okay. basically, uh, the way to think of it is that cows, uh, cows are capable of breaking down molecules further than, than the, oh, really? the little guys. Yeah. And so they give their offspring really long uh, molecular chains of of fat right and then they you know they have the four stomachs or whatever the hell and they yeah, the ruminant stomach yeah and it yeah. gets broken down and it can break it down but people like to say you know f humans it takes like four hours to break down cow's milk I using your enzymes and mm -hmm. your gut and uh the goat and sheep, they say, is like 20 minutes oh, because I didn't know it's that. made of smaller molecules that are immediately absorbable without being digested. Interesting. Yeah. So I actually ate goat yogurt and goat milk uh, for like over a decade. Damn. But I recently switched to grass-fed cow milk Okay. Uh, to make my yogurt. For the MCTs? Yeah, well, I mean... The, uh, there's more MCTs in goat and really? sheep. Really? Okay. Yeah, they're the kings of M of of a medium chain, chain triglycerides. triglycerides. <laughs> 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 yeah, but you know, if that's a goal, you can always just put coconut oil yeah. in anything. I mean, it, right. it, if that's a, a, a personal goal, um, that's just one aspect of it, though. Yeah. It's just one aspect. There's also, I mean, it, it, they're they're just it's easier to digest. Yeah. And there's a number of different reasons why that's true, but. 
now I don't drink any milk. I only eat yogurt. And mm -hmm. yogurt's been essentially pre-digested right. by bacteria. So eat cow's milk, especially the grass-fed stuff, incredibly nutritious, much cheaper than sheep or goat milk. Yeah, I mean, much cheaper. That is the thing. I haven't gotten – I mean, it's going to happen. I will go down the yogurt production black I, hole at I some point. I will hook you up okay. with all the info. I've been doing it for three years straight. And I eat four cups of yogurt a day. Okay, I'm doing this. This is not a new thing now because it's like, I've yeah. Okay. It's also supremely satisfying. Yeah. Once you get it right, and it tastes way better than the store bought I stuff. I bet it does. Damn. Yeah, yeah, and it's way, way cheaper. Mm -hmm. Way cheaper, especially if you're a big yogurt consumer. You're gonna be like saving money like crazy okay. once you once oh, you man. get it. Yeah. I didn't think we were gonna be talking about this. This is great. I thought, you know, it's like, <laughs> what a cool like uh, side, uh, you know, accidental topic to talk about. I mean, I think about it a lot, you know, yeah. because I do eat it a lot. But you know, I'm happy to talk about anything. You know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> can we talk a little bit more about the um, cultivation stuff? Because that's this thing that I mean, obviously you've you have this uh, company Podtones that makes these rosin-based vaporizers that are pretty unique in the marketplace completely. Yeah. yeah. And um, what's the website? I just want to say it right now. So it's podtones.co. Okay. C-O. Okay. Everyone has or, to check that out. Or on Instagram, just at podtones. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's like kind of a far, I mean, it's not, a, it's not far from it, but like cultivating weed is a lot different than making these, these vapes. Like It's like a long trajectory. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I guess like uh, at what point in the cultivation process were you like, I need to, you know, take it to the yeah. Well, Next that's level. that's actually not hard to answer because I've been I was cultivating for uh, dispensaries starting 2005, mm -hmm. and by 2007, uh, you know, we used to get 6,400 a pound for OG Kush. Wow, which was awesome, and also made it you know really easy to learn because even if you messed up, it was worth. $3,000. Yeah. Now, right. Um, after the Great Recession, which I guess they're going to have to rename after this whole COVID <laughs> thing, right? Yeah, I called the, the little The mild, the little the, recession. The little Great Recession. Right, exactly. That was 2008, right? Yeah, 2008. Yeah. Every, you know, people stopped having any money. Mm -hmm. And so um, the, the price of pot had to fall. Um, also, a ton of people became unemployed, moved to California to join the Green Rush. Right. And so they're, I mean, the way we saw it is the market got completely flooded with mids, but that brought the price down for even the premium. Right. So, you know, I was making top shelf, um, but I watched the price drop to, you know, average 4,800, 3,600. And when it hit about 2,500 uh, in bulk, we're talking, right? Um, so what does that translate to for like an eighth? Well, um, there's 128 eighths in there, okay. so that would be like twenty dollars an eighth for a top shelf. Yeah, well, back then that was, but that's wholesale. Okay, wholesale. That was wholesale. Right. Okay. So then, it, you know, back then, it, yeah, it, it dropped down to there. But you know, when you when you are selling it in bulk, it's going to go through a bunch of other hands and become much more expensive mm -hmm. by its final destination. Yeah. So I mean, you know. Um, but yeah, once it once it started really dropping, um, well, it was two things. I mean, there was the fact that it, it seemed like it would make sense to make a, a a product that was more distinguishable than flour, which once you sell it, 
nobody knows. You know, back then there was no branding, of course, and yeah. everything was just how good does this bud look? Yeah. And so and smell and but it, it was about the merit of the actual weed and no branding opportunity. There was the name game, so what was the strain named? But that was it. Mainly, it was just like almost the purest consumer product you could have where people right. come and they look at the final product and they buy it or don't based on that. And so and they smell it a little bit sometimes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And back then you could stick your face in the jar right. at the dispensary. Now they're in like sealed jars, so you have no idea what right. it smells like until you take it home. But um, yeah, it was uh, it, it, it was for me, it was super gratifying because it, it just dropped away all of the potential artifice of marketing and just left people with their nose their eyes and your bud right and, you it's know very you pure it's like if it likes people like it they like it it's not based upon anything else yeah they haven't been somehow brainwashed or mm -hmm. something uh but um you know i had always done a certain level of extraction um making i uh, like ice water hash uh -huh. um with what with our various leftovers you know we used to joke no trichome left behind <laughs> which was that's like a bush era joke but anyways um we uh we i had a lot of experience doing that um and it seemed like there you know there needed to be a I, well let me take it back a little further mm -hmm. so back in 2006 i think i read an article in the Economist about um, e cig the the invention of the e-cigarette that right. a guy in China had invented an e-cigarette and um, I got one and uh, it was I got one because I thought well if they can do it for nicotine we got to be able to do it for pop because that's awesome yeah and that feels like that's the future that's mm -hmm. what I thought and again like you know being a little bit too far ahead in right. the future right so this is 2006 and I was like, that's got to be how it is in the future because, you know, I know how to roll a joint, but lots of people have a hard time with all that. And right. wouldn't it just be easier if you could get it, the oil, the hash into one of these e-cigarettes? So I bought one, tore it apart, and it had like an inaccessible little pod-like chamber in the center mm -hmm. of a bunch of like, like cotton or something and it basically, or fiberglass. It just was not usable. So then fast forward to twenty. 12 and the Chinese e-cigarette market had really matured a lot. They'd gone through a few generations of different designs and um, that's when I started feeling like, well, there's there's got to be an opportunity here to make um, an abstracted product that's cooler. You know? Right. So, started working with uh, Chinese manufacturers and um, getting cartridges and um, batteries and sort of fine-tuning them to work with uh, with cannabis oil mm -hmm. but by that point sort of the dominant extraction form was butane based. right I remember the first time I had some butane hash I was like holy shit this is I put like a tiny bit in a cigarette like a hand-rolled cigarette oh yeah oh my god it's so strong well I mean it's a dab right yeah and, and a dab is usually too strong for most people, <laughs> right? And, and so the the thing about it is that uh, I always felt like dabs were the purest form of pot, and it just seemed a shame that 
people who aren't hardcore had no access to the purest form. Right. Cleanest, you know, you're not burning plant material. You just need a small hit for it to work. Right. And so my goal was to sort of take that and figure out how to make it more accessible. Um, so that's what the cartridges back then really did. Um, they, they captured the flavor of the, of the butane uh, extract, um, but in a you know, really convenient form. And mm -hmm. so that was the dawn of vapes in general. You know, I wasn't the only person uh, trying to figure out how to get the e-cigarettes to work with, with pot. Um, had a brand that was distributed in local dispensaries for a while and, and um, based on the butane. But then... Well, can I interrupt you? Was that something you had to figure out in terms of like, isn't like the smoke point different for butane than it would be for whatever nicotine is? You must have to make a bunch of modifications, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's where the electrical engineering comes in handy. Yeah, it seems like it's almost perfect. <laughs> it's yeah. A thing where I couldn't think of someone better. Yeah. I'm actually pretty good at, um, I guess, what people call Chinglish, which is like Chinese and English. No way. But no, I'm talking email. So oh, okay. I can communicate w pretty well with the Chinese suppliers, um, and, uh, you know, that's important, too. But, yeah, they, but the thing is, they're that. engineers, and so it, then it's – as long as we're just talking engineer talk mm -hmm. and there's a lot of math, right. uh, then it's okay. Okay, that and makes that's sense. that's easier, yeah. actually. Totally. Um, so you're talking about you're 2012 here, and you're making these vapes. You have this company you – the first vape company you you had right, and basically the um, back then the only technology available was um, plastic cartridges, mm -hmm. and while it it served its purpose, it definitely tasted like like plastic, right? A, a little bit, and that was like super nasty to me. So I guess one thing I haven't mentioned is I have a super sensitive sense of smell. Oh, really? And uh, I went through my whole life um, until I was in my 30s, essentially unaware that everybody didn't have the same sense of smell as me. So I would be in situations like, oh, God, it smells horrible in here. Why isn't everyone freaking out? And it's because other people just couldn't smell these things. See, I have a similar thing. I don't know if it's the same degree as you, but a lot of times there's just smells will bother me to the point where it's like I can't relax because I can smell this thing. Mm -hmm. And, like, my wife will be like, what are you talking about? Like, why are you smelling? I was like, there's just, I, can you, can you, it's, a, it's like a phantom, you know? And if I can smell it, it it's almost like a, an open door or something. I need to resolve, I need to yeah. close this door. Otherwise, yeah. it's going to nag me because I just want to know what the smell is. Well, that sounds like you do. You have a nose, too. I mean, I, I th that type of thing has saved my ass millions yeah. of times where I walk in to a scenario and I can smell that something must be burning somewhere, right? Yeah, there's, so, uh, there's also a lot of stuff in the garden where I find where that's how I identify a lot of things in the garden. It's like if I can smell it, I'll know. You can tell no mold, lot. mold. You can or else you can tell like what what type of plant you're looking at, even if it's like a uh, even if it's just germinating. Oh yeah, yeah. Like the, s the smell in the soils and all kinds of different things that have these smell indicators where I feel like you can identify a lot of plants based upon how they smell like there's a lot of things I don't know that much about a lot of plants but I do know like if I find something in the wild I'm like I wonder what kind of plant this is and I break off a bit of leaf it's like oh this is probably this family because right. it has a certain smell uh-huh like if you have that eucalyptus yeah. smell and the, I mean there's no question that be I think everybody ha 
can have a pretty good sense of smell if they just pay close attention to it. Right. Um, I don't honestly know if I have a truly better sense of smell or if I'm just paying closer attention. You probably are uh, one of those super tasters, right? It's like well, that kind of thing? So, yeah, super taster ends up, it means you have a high density of um, taste buds on your tongue. Okay. And it usually means that those people taste stuff so acutely that they um, prefer bland food. Right, because they can't enjoy stuff because it's yeah, too strong. overwhelmed, yeah. So that that would be, that would suck. Yeah. Because so then maybe, you'd be like, you know, just let's stick with McDonald's. Like, or it's like perfect pitch. Yeah. Where people at Perfect Pitch are like, God, I can't listen to this. It's why. It's like, right. oh, because it's, they're tuned relatively. Right, right. Which is, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, it, it can set you up to seem like a prima donna. Right. In that way. I mean, look, the thing about my nose is that if I'm in a situation where I, I'm hating the way things smell, I just switch to my mouth and then it's <laughs> over. Right? That's it. So yeah. it's, it's not so hard to deal with, but it was incredibly useful uh, as a cultivator. Yeah. Because... I could walk into a situation and into a grow room and really pretty quickly, I mean, I can smell mold. I can smell higher humidity. I can, yeah. I mean, it's just kind of like all kind of apparent to me and um, it's been incredibly useful. So before I was a cultivator, it was useless, mm -hmm. um, except that I could do things like name perfume or something. Right, right? It was yeah. like a parlor trick. <laughs> um, and mainly, I lived in New York, so it was also like that place just smells like garbage all yeah, the time. Yeah, it really does have like there's not a lot of uh, subtle odors coming through. It's no, so when I moved here, over. it was mainly diesel and rotting garbage. Yeah. You know? And when I moved here, I remember like driving with the windows open and smelling night blooming jasmine. That or you know about Brugmansia? No. So that big plant over there with that yellow oh, yeah, angel of trumpet? Yeah, yeah. That's a Brugmansia. That's a volunteer. I didn't plant that. To me, at nighttime, the smell of night blooming Brugmansia might be, I think it's one of the top five smells. Oh, that's it's awesome. Only, it's like so subtle and so. I'm going to seek. I'm oh, going to yeah. seek it out. I might have to come to your place after the sun sets. It's everywhere. It grows all over LA. You'll find it all over the place. People, like normal people, have it growing in their yards. It has this smell. It's kind of like a. Um, to me, it's like very similar to like a like a perfume that smells kind of like it's really exotic and has like a almost like a cinnamon musk undertone, but uh. it's still kind of light in a way where it feels feminine and stuff. It just I can't. Sometimes I just am overwhelmed by this how great it smells. Uh, yeah, I've got two that like I I, I bet I'd love that. I yeah. love citrus flowers. Right, I mean, they just blow me away. Oh my god, that stuff. Sometimes it's overwhelming. Like I'll right? just stand there when it when a breeze hits me and I can't even see the tree. Right. Oh, and Christ. I smell it. I'll just stand there and close my eyes. Mm -hmm. My family, you know, if I'm with someone in my family, they'll be like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like. You don't smell that? Just give me a second. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that one is, that's a good one. I feel like also uh, ginger flowers are great. There's like a, a really. I think you have more experience growing food than I do. Because oh I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen a ginger flower. Well, that's right there. That over there, that's a variegated wild ginger right there. And it'll That have, one? Yeah, that one that has the stripes on the leaves. Oh, wow. Leaves. That thing will put off these little, that thing is, I just put it in the ground so it's not, it's not established yet. But mm -hmm. when it flowers next year, it'll have put these little white shells People call it shell ginger too, but it has these shells. It has like this. I mean, it doesn't smell like ginger, but it has like this sort of spicy but also creamy kind of smell to it. Oh, or same with the gardenia good. next to it. The gardenia is like, to me, gardenia is insane because that has that crazy. It smells like 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 liquid clay or something to me. I don't know what it it's is. It's a little overwhelming. Yeah, I find it to be sometimes it is because smell is so attached to emotion more than anything else and memory. 
to where sometimes I do find it to be a little bit overwhelming because it's you're, you're taking this thing in that's you can't see it. It's totally invisible, yet it's so evocative yeah. that, yeah, it's like maybe I don't want to read a short story in an instant right now. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, it speaks um, to your the memory centers in your brain sort of better than any other sense. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome when it happens. I mean, I, I actually really like um, perfume. I, I don't wear perfume, but I like the smell of perfume because – it does exactly that. And again, that brings it back to like music that, you know, then you smell a perfume that your wife used to wear and you go back in time, mm-hmm. sort of like hearing a song, the song that, you know, was popular when you met or something, yeah. you know, and you're like, whoa, and it can really be overwhelming and it can make you pause, you know, and make it seem like you just disappeared to, if you're mm-hmm. with another person. <laughs> so. Have you ever seen the movie Perfume? Oh, I've read the book. Okay. I haven't seen the movie, and I really should. It's pretty great. I think as soon as the book came out, someone gave it to me, and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I was like, oh, he's a serial killer? Like, yeah. is that that cool? <laughs> but it has some amazing descriptions. Oh, totally. I remember. Th- I should read the books. I love the movie. I've seen it like 10 times. So. Oh, you should read the book because mm-hmm. basically it describes whatever it is, uh, 18th cent- 19th century France, right, mm-hmm. Paris. And it, it just... It sounds like it smells terrible. Like oh the, God, the I can't first chapter is just a description of ye olden times, Ooh. and I'm thinking like if I'd lived back then, or my ancestors, if they had this same nose, man, they were fucked. Yeah, that must have sucked. Like you it just constantly reeked. Yeah, yeah. No, again, like L.A., my favorite place to live. It's kind of incredible. Sometimes there is just so much stuff blooming that it feels, it doesn't seem, it just seems insane how there's just the wind carries all these things even like sage like how strong there's just sage everywhere or the eucalyptus trees yeah you know for those of us that come from places that are we're snowy half the Mm -hmm. year and all you're smelling is you know car exhaust it's great to have flowers blooming all around it's just a, a whole different story and it definitely makes you know as a child i lived in in mexico um and africa really how is why is that my parents are anthropologists. Okay. So they That's st- pretty cool. That's like the uh is your little kid you always like, you know, that's one of those dream jobs a lot of times as a kid you say you want to I want to be a archaeologist. Yeah. I think that was always the one archaeologist. Well, they're they are yeah. cultural anthropologists, okay. so they don't get to dig. Yeah. They actually interview um and you know, hang out with different cultures and um basically write about human development and how it works cross-culturally. Wow. So um, we lived in Kenya uh, in a town called Kisi um, when I was really little. Mm -hmm. And my memories of that are mostly large animals, like (laughs) seeing elephants and lions and shit when we went on safari. Wow. I don't remember much else. Um, And then we lived in Mexico. They were doing a different study there. And... um, that, I mean, I speak Spanish fluently because okay. of that. Um, and I love Mexico. Um, and going from Boston to Mexico for a year when I was 10 really taught me that life didn't have to be freezing fucking cold half the year, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I used to always think about it. Like, you know, as I toughed it through the Boston and New York winters, I, I'd be like, you know, 
you don't have to experience this. Like, yeah. I have friends, they live in L.A., they're swimming in a pool right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm freezing my fucking ass off. So I always had it in the back of my mind, like, I needed to check out L.A. And so when I finally could, you know, and I came here, I realized, wait, this is where, this is where I'm meant to be. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm never leaving. <laughs> Can you talk a little more? We were talking about the, your, your nose. Like, you have, like, this, you know, incredible special nose and stuff and that helped you a lot when you were cultivating mm-hmm. but then it's th- then how did you get into the whole um you're talking about make making these vaporizers mm-hmm. using like the working with chinese manufacturers and stuff to m- create these adaptations of e-cigarettes and stuff so then like what was the next step then with all that so uh like i said at the beginning it started with um uh plastic cartridges and um it's the uh, smell. You didn't like the smell. Yeah, I didn't like the taste. I mean, it was as good as it could get. But but then uh, a couple years in, they started making uh, being. They started having the, the the capability to make cartridges out of borosilicate glass mm-hmm. and stainless steel. Uh, at first, they weren't ceramic heating elements. They were still cotton wicks and stuff, but or silicon. But uh, they uh, tasted way better. So yeah. as soon as that capability was present in my suppliers, I switched from plastic to glass. And um, basically, at that point, the taste was on point. Before that, it had always been like, well, it's close, but it has this plasticky flavor to it. And then it was after that, it was like, now this tastes like the BHO, the butane honey oil I've never heard that, BHO. Oh, yeah, that's okay. this kind of technical term Butane for it. Butane honey oil. It's not, it doesn't sound technical, right? No. Um, but, but it is, but that's okay. what people call it. Um, the uh, BHO uh, was the cleanest extract you could get back then. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we even back then, I would make it out of buds, um, not out of shake. Okay. Um, so that because the goal was to capture the flavor of a great bud, mm-hmm. not to like scrape up whatever trichomes are left behind. Well, can you tell me what, what a trichome is? Sure. So basically, trichome is a like a glandular excretion uh, from the pot plant that is where the drug and the terpenes live. Okay. So when you talk about crystals. On weed, it's that those are actually trichomes. They're not crystalline; um, they're balls. If you look at them under a, a microscope, they're they're tiny wax balls. And inside the ball is the be- it is the oil that is everything we think about when we think of pot. It's right? the taste. It's the smell. Smell. It's, it's, it's the high. It's, it's the, the cannabinoids. It's the terpenes. Okay. What is a terpene? Terpene's a smell molecule. Okay. Um, it's actually of all the biological molecules. Uh, I believe they're the most common. Um, they are the smell of plants. Everything we've been talking about, right. we're basically talking about terpenes. Oh, okay. And the vast majority of them on Earth are just generated by all the plants and trees that you see. So it's a mo- it's a type of molecule. Yeah, it's Got basically it. a smell. It's a smell. It's wow. what It's they're highly volatile, which means that they basically with a little bit of heat, enter uh, suspension into the air, Uh which means then you can actually smell them. Um, And the amazing thing about weed is that 
over the eons, you know, I, I believe we've been cultivating it for at least 10,000 years. It right. might even be beyond, you know, 20,000 or who knows. But the it's one of the few plants on earth that just literally locks into human brains mm -hmm. perfectly without, as we know, killing anybody or causing yeah. any damage. So we've co-evolved with the plant. Yeah. Uh, and and coevolution isn't something that takes place over a couple hundred years. I no, mean, it's ancient. So I, I, I it's like dogs. It's like yeah. weed is sort of like the plant version of a dog. Yeah, <laughs> it's man's best friend. Yeah. And the fact is, it was. We all know this. I mean, we all know that. You know, Declaration of Independence is written on hemp. Right. And, you know, back in the day, it was man's best friend because it made rope, it made oil, it made um, protein from the seeds. Um, and of course, it made drugs that helped people with all kinds of different ailments. Mm -hmm. So there's there's no question that it is like a dog. And by the way, I love dogs. We haven't talked about dogs yet, okay. but we should. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the amazing thing about pot, though, the, the thing that distinguishes it, aside from having the cannabinoids, is that it's capable of generating the terpenes of, I mean, sometimes it seems like any other plant. Okay, I see what you're saying, because like, like our mutual friend Rob has shown me some weed nugs that are literally purple and mm -hmm. they smell like a grape right. and they taste like a grape. All right, right. And it's like, this is not a grape. Right, <laughs> and for the pure examples like that, like there's a strain called lavender, obviously grape ape, and, you know, there's cherry strains and whatever. Those ones are the, the easiest way to understand how incredible the plant is at mm -hmm. making any smell. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of the more complex flavors like Girl Scout cookies or okay. Dosi -si Doe or o OG Kush, they're lots of terpenes. Right. And they're, they're a blend of dozens of different ones. And, um, you know, it might have notes of strawberry, of mango, of lemon, of hops, and they might yeah. all be in there and they're genuinely in there. And that's what's so cool about the plant. You know, it can, it, the truth is that the reason we've always smoked pot for 10,000 plus years is the entourage effect. It's okay. the combination of the THC and the other cannabinoids, which there's usually a lot less of, and the terpenes. And we all know that, you know, fundamentally the sativa indica concept, one makes you chill, one makes you kind of up. And um, that is not uh, because of the THC. You know, that's oh, because THC plus certain smell molecules makes you feel a certain way. So it's the terpenes that cause, so the indica and sativa varieties are because they have different terpenes. Yeah. Generally speaking, it, you know, there was a time before we had good testing that people would say, oh, the indicas have CBD in them. Right. But then once we had good testing, it became clear that the vast majority of the drug strains just had almost no CBD or, wow. or literally none. And you, when you say, well, I know this Blue Dream gives me a totally different high than OG Kush, but both of them have THC plus smell molecules and that's it. Why is the high so different? Mm -hmm. Well, all that it can be is the smell molecules. And basically, you can think of it like this. You know, essential oils, candles, uh, when people use smells to, to change their mood, perfumes even, there's already known sort of properties of many existing terpenes. Like, say, citrus, lemon, right. makes you feel kind of up. That's why 
it's good for cleaning because it cuts through grease. It's zesty. But it's zesty, <laughs> and it makes people feel, ooh, you yeah. know, ah, that's good, right? It's got a and, lift. And if you notice, a lot of good sativas will have a citrusy right. flavor with them, too. What's that one that people love so much? Lemon haze? Lemon haze, yeah. of course. Um, and the, the hazes in general have have more citrusy overtones. And I don't even know that was a thing, a haze? That's a whole subfamily, a haze family? <laughs> yeah, God, so, so interesting. I mean, I'm happy to tell you a little bit about the, the history because it is it yeah. is fascinating. But but just to wrap up the idea, I mean, the, the, the smell molecules plus the THC are the high. Wow. Every one of the plants, it's encoded in its genetics, in its DNA, what smell molecules it can pump out. And as long as you... Uh, you know, cultivate it correctly, it's going to generate those smells. Yeah. And so that's why it's so reliable when you get a clone of something good and as long as you don't destroy it, you do end up getting some nugs of that that's delicious crazy. strain, you know? So if that's, okay, we're talking about lemon is like an uh, uplifting thing. So the, what would be like the indica-type terpenes that would cause those type of effects, which is like more relaxing or seda sedation. Right. So an example would be one called linalool, which is um, what's in lavender. Right. Okay. And, you know, people use lavender balms and lavender candles to relax mm -hmm. and, and go to sleep. Um, in fact, uh, myrcene, which is the primary terpene in mango and um, hops. Right. Myrcene? Um, myrcene. Okay. It's it's supposed to be somewhat sedative too. Wow. Stand alone. And a lot of these things, you know, if you if you were to say smoke some lemon oil, you might actually feel a little bit of a sativa effect wow. without any THC. And wow. so the, the 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 thing is that a lot of the other vape companies have decided that the best way to approach it is to purify THC and then add in uh, industrial flavorings, terpenes mm -hmm. that come usually as byproducts from um, agriculture. So the entire orange juice industry is constantly outputting orange peels. Right. And so there's a secondary stream where you squeeze the orange peels to make orange oil. Mm -hmm. That orange oil, people do put it into vaporizers, but 99% of it ends up mopping your floor. Right. So I have a real issue with people putting you know, industrial terpenes that are used for mopping floors into vapes for people to inhale. Yeah. And I don't think it makes any sense. I think what does make sense is that f if we have the coevolution with our plant here and people have been smoking it for 10,000 years, it, it, it's the right ratio. You know, th there's right. not too much of that lemon oil in there. Yeah, the plant makes the right... The plant does it. The plant and the people. So... Mm -hmm. If it if it had too much lemon oil and had people like whatever it did like messing people up, whatever breeder would have gotten rid of that plant yeah. and it'd just be the end of the line for that one. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're in a lab just trying to mix together flavors and THC, I mean nobody's doing testing on people. They're just making it and putting it out there as if it were perfume. Right. But unlike perfume, you know, you're directly inhaling it into your lungs. Yeah, so it's very different. I'm not going to smoke perfume. Right. <laughs> and in the early days, you know, I, uh, I, I tried all kinds of um, flavorings in vaporizers just in, in the lab. And I think, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Is it Lang Lang? Oh, yeah. I've always said Lang Lang. Okay, Lang yeah. Lang. So 
I, I got Lang Lang extract, and you know that's just a flower, right? But it tastes like the most complex perfume. Mm -hmm. And I made uh, a cartridge with Lang Lang, and it was like like smoking, like puffing on perfume. Wow! And I felt like it was pretty crazy. And while it was an interesting experience, it was not something I ever wanted too to. Too aggressive. Yeah. It's too it was like just, intense. And it made uh, the whole room smell so strongly, <laughs> you know. I mean, it already does, yeah. obviously. So anyways, I, I felt like the artificial or even the natural um, flavorings just don't even hold a candle to what the pot can do on its own. Mm -hmm. And the pot on its own has also successfully made sure that it's non-toxic. Right. So when you just... The fact is it's non-toxic. We know that. Whereas if you're adding um, industrial flavorings, I don't. we don't know. Are they non-toxic? We have no idea. Right. And like recently they discovered that the most toxic of the flavorings in uh, nicotine vapes are um, cinnamon, natural cinnamon, wow. and natural vanilla. So That's interesting because those are both tropical plants. But they sound good. Yeah. Sound healthy. We all know that... Cinnamon in your smoothie is a good thing, right? right? And and vanilla, I mean, vanilla is the greatest. I love vanilla. Right, it's the wonderful. But ends up you shouldn't inhale it. Like wow. it does damage to your lungs. That's interesting. And so that was a like uh, the creme brulee flavored mm -hmm. nicotine vapes. Ugh. Those ones apparently just totally fuck up your lungs. Jeez. But even when they're made with truly natural stuff. So that makes sense. I mean, you're not supposed to smoke banana peels, right? Really? I think she, I've think done that. I think I have too, but I think it was like one of those things where it's not really good for you no. to do it. It maybe it gets didn't you high. Didn't burn right either. Or like nutmeg, like nutmeg's poisonous. It, the threshold of nutmeg being poisonous is pretty low, I think. Yeah, that's like the prison weed thing. Yeah. Yeah, nutmeg. Drink a whole bunch of nutmeg. Yeah, you get like some sort of weird, weird high. mild buzz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's no. You know, weed just not. There's no point in trying to do weed one better. What we do at Pod Tones, so ultimately, I discovered rosin. Well, the whole industry discovered rosin. Mm -hmm. um, and those of us that prefer ultra premium, basically everybody knows that rosin is the ultra premium. And extract. rosin is not butane hash. It's not the same thing right. at all. Not at all. So basically, rosin is made by just squeezing a bud in a high-pressure uh, press mm -hmm. with a little bit of heat added. And then what it comes out is basically it pop. Basically, it bursts all of the trichomes, uh -huh. bursts the little wax balls, and the oil inside it just oozes out. And so you end up with something where there's just the oil from inside the trichomes, and that's it. It's like the essence. It's it. I mean, it's the ultimate essence of the plant. So it's very similar to how they make perfume, in a way, like how classically, like hundreds of years ago. Yeah, when they would do like wax extraction, right? Where you take the um, the flour, you put it in the 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 fat, and then they let it sit there, soak it up, and then they would what they would do, they would do they would do something with that. They would take that fat, melt it down, and usually strain it in that strain case. it and distill it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with the fat extraction, you're talking about like in the weed world, that's a lot like edibles. Okay. So you know, you 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 cook the weed into some butter. So it's even more. Uh, basic than that because you're literally just it's almost like you're making apple juice or apple cider yeah you know what you're it's sort of like is like it's sort of like olive oil okay like it it, it isn't 
quite an accurate description, mm-hmm. but it, it shares more with cold-pressed olive oil than probably anything else. So it's, it's fresh, it's relatively low temperature, and... Um, it's raw? It's, it's raw. I mean, right. yeah, because it's not cooked. <laughs> and, and, uh, and you're trying to keep temperatures low. So the, the basic form is very straightforward, and the, the origin of rosin was to take a bud in a hair straightener and just put it between uh, parchment paper, stick it in a hair straightener, squeeze it literally with your hand. Wow. And that's the first creation of rosin. It's now so it's low become tech. I love it. So low tech and really <laughs> anybody can do it. Yeah. But you have no control and the temperature easily gets too high. Right. Um, so now we have rosin presses. There's many companies that make them and they're fairly sophisticated, but they don't even compare in complexity to the butane extraction machines or oh, wow. CO2 extraction. Okay. Those things, you know, butane butane's highly flammable, explosive gas. Mm-hmm. Um CO2 is under enormous amounts of pressure, so mm-hmm. it, it is fairly, I mean, it won't explode into flames, but you can still blow apart a building with a, a CO2 extractor. Rosin, uh, conversely, is not risky at all unless you stick your hand into the press and squeeze your hand. Got right? It. So there's literally, you know, in terms of our license for production, you know, we don't need to be certified uh, you have to have a bomb-proof room in your oh business. Oh, my God, a bomb-proof room? Yeah, and they're expensive. It sounds like expensive, a bomb-proof room. And they're not great <laughs> to be inside of either. I bet, yeah. Um, a bomb-proof so, room. And also, you know, when you're sitting there making something that's some weed, and yet you're aware that you're in a bomb-proof room, mm-hmm. it's a little unnerving. I bet. Because uh, if it does blow up, I guess the rest of the building's okay, but you're You're, you're dead. inside. So, um, yeah, and, you know, even just two weeks ago, a big butane uh, facility in downtown L.A. blew up, and um, it melted a fire truck and burned, like, five firefighters because it started as a normal fire. They went in to try and check out what was going on, and then the butane lit, and it was, like, the biggest fucking fireball, and and it literally melted half of the fucking truck. God, that's terrible. Which, which, by the way, was parked 40 feet away from the building. Well, because it's so, so hot. So hot, and a fireball just came out of the building. Wow, I, don't, I did not hear about this. Yeah, <laughs> it was a big deal, but, you know, so much shit has been going yeah. on lately. Um, but that, you know, that just added, when I saw that, and it was downtown, and, you know, our, our facility is downtown, too, and I was like, man, I'm so glad that I've put that butane behind yeah. me. Um, not interested in that. But the fact is... Butane extract was the best, and right. there, uh, there's still gr- people that are great at it, mm-hmm. and it can make a great product, but it's just not as pure a product as rosin. I mean, rosin's so unadulterated, it really is just getting the equivalent of smoking the bud, but just taking it down to its essence without any chemical intervention. Yeah, that's what I noticed when I first smoked one of them. That was just like the pod tones are so... It's there's so much taste there. It's it throws you off because yeah. you're just like this. It's crazy. It's almost like uh, like if you were to cool something down. I don't know. It, like because smoke, smoke is sometimes it, it is hot. Obviously, smoke. Yeah. You don't have you can't taste as much. But this, I think you taste 
twice as much as you would if you were smoking something. Well, definitely. I mean, there's a few reasons for that. One is that it's operating at a lower temperature. Yeah. Um, so it's not combustion. Uh, and it, you don't get the combustion byproducts, which taste different. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the goal essentially is to deliver to the Podtones user the the flavor of essentially the smell you get on your hands when you're harvesting the bud. Ooh, that's a good one. Because people don't know how, you know, those of us that are in the business and, and have cultivated, there's nothing like that feeling and that, I mean, that smell that when you're actually harvesting, you're wearing gloves usually, but your gloves smell freaking amazing. Mm -hmm. And then you got to dry the plant. You smoke the gloves. Cure it. Well, I mean, people, they make <laughs> I'm sure finger hash, it's called. I have to. Oh, really? Okay. You, you, you just kind of rub your hands together, and it turns into a ball. Wow. And that stuff's okay. You know, we've taken the finger hash before and, uh, and tried to turn it into rosin. It's some dirty stuff. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't compare to, to using the actual fresh frozen buds. I mean, the, the goal was to bring that to people and it it took a long time because the bho did not capture that flavor as closely yeah um and even normal rosin doesn't so then what we do is a, a sort of another level of rosin which is we do fresh frozen hash rosin mm -hmm. which means we take the plants right at harvest they're flash frozen uh so they smell exactly like the day you cut them. Wow. And then we keep them frozen basically until we make the pods. But first we extract them using ice water hash. Then we get a whole bunch of hash, but it's some of the best hash you've ever seen. And then we press that in the rosin. Okay. The so we don't actually end up pressing a lot of buds. Mm -hmm. we, press, we first get all the trichomes off of the buds using ice water, and then we dry that and we press that, and that gives us absolutely the taste and smell of the day of harvest. Wow. Yeah, so it's, it's great. It's a perfect combination of technology and biology. It's like such a weird, interesting intersection. I feel like that's the thing about weed I like so much. I mean, I'm not like a big user at all, but I do find like just the whole, the whole thing, the intersection of it is just like fascinating. It's like endlessly fascinating. It is. I mean, look, I, I, I've been doing this, I guess it's 15 years, and I, I don't, I've never been bored by yeah. it. And, you know, I don't cultivate like I used to, but um, I always felt like every cycle I learned something new and had some kind of insight onto how to make it better. Um, and the thing about working with a living being kind of mm -hmm. you know a biology biological creature rather than uh bits and bites there's a there's a lot more where it can just do what it wants and you don't understand it at all yeah right like when you're writing software it just does what you want yeah and when you're growing a plant like it has a plan and you better try and figure out its plan and then stick to its plan but make it do it the way you want mm -hmm. and you have to discover its plan so in essence you know even if you start growing a new strain it takes a while to figure out what it really likes and and so it never gets boring i mean right. it really doesn't i mean there's two reasons it doesn't get boring there's always learning and then 
you're all you're also if you're doing indoor it could all come crashing down at any moment if there was a blackout or you have an air conditioner failure or like some sort of a like mold gets in the lines or oh, something like that i mean mold you know i think something that people don't rel totally recognize outside of the business is that cultivation sort of like half of it is about avoiding mold wow i didn't know that because the indoor because that's why i like the outdoor thing so much is it just kind of you know, regulates itself yeah what's gonna happen is gonna happen yeah no it's uh outdoors you know i've taken many strains and just sort of plugged them in the backyard mm -hmm. and let the sprinkler hit them and not even thought about them and it you know it's still as long as it's a good good genetics right you still get something totally worthwhile. I mean, something that you might be really proud of, even though you spent almost no effort on it. Mm -hmm. But when those same plants are taken indoors, where you can control the environment completely, um, they produce better. I mean, they definitely yeah. produce better. A lot of people think that the sun adds like some certain magic, um, and I think that there's. It's possibly the case that there's other terpenes and cannabinoids that are enhanced. Probably mainly by the UV component of sunlight. Okay, yeah. Um, and indoors, we don't have as much ultraviolet light. Yeah, it's just it's hard to duplicate the sun. It is, but the thing is, it, it might be hard to duplicate the sun, but it's a lot easier indoors to have it be, say, exactly 78 degrees all the time yeah. every day, right? And a fully sunny day for 12 hours every single day. So while you can't necessarily get the full spectrum of the sun, you can make so many other aspects of it much more reliable, and that's why, you know, outdoors still worth double what indoor is worth. Is that true? I'm sorry. Flip that. Okay, sorry. I was yeah, going to say. No, 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 no. <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, it's outdoor is worth half and sometimes a third um, of, yeah. of indoor. And, the, you know, but there's, there's guys now doing greenhouse that, to the untrained eye anyways, is indistinguishable from indoor and so they sell it as indoor i've seen some videos also of these guys in oregon who have these plants that are big as any christmas tree you could ever buy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i just doesn't make any sense to me they're 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 25 feet tall well they're i mean that, that's a style that yeah. came around back when there were um plant count limits right so the idea was if you're only allowed 99 plants, you they should be the fucking biggest ones you <laughs> can possibly make, right? And so those guys in the past 15 years, really NorCal and, and Oregon, you know, they, they perfected these sort of massive raised beds mm -hmm. where you can get a single plant to have like five pounds wow. on it or more. I mean, yeah, I've seen insane plants where I can only imagine how hard it would be to... Um, to harvest to, to harvest to just even maintain like mm -hmm. if it's eight feet tall and eight feet wide you got to use ladders mm -hmm. to get in it and you know they have an orchard now it's not birds really... could live inside it yeah. i mean i mean at the end of the day here's the thing outdoor is probably the the future because of the cost mm -hmm. but it always fundamentally has layers and layers of dust in it because if you just think about if you leave your car out without yeah, washing it. Yeah, I never thought it, about that. Yeah, so, and, or if you think about any of the fruits that you, and vegetables that you grow here, you take them into your kitchen, they're dusty. Yeah. You wash them off, mm -hmm. right? But you can't wash off buds and they're covered in glue, basically. <laughs> and so stuff 
falls on them and sticks to it, and then it creates a new layer. And I've thought about that, yeah, because there's, there's a lot of stuff that I probably don't. I don't want to smoke dust, not in this city. Well, I mean, the thing is, I'm not trying to get people too freaked out by it. People have been smoking dusty buds for 10,000 mm-hmm. years and doing just fine. Right. But the fact is, indoor pot doesn't have that um, because it's living in a filtered mm-hmm. air filtration environment. And um, it's a noticeable difference. I mean, you know, if, if you have a good nose and, and you're smoking an indoor joint or an outdoor joint of the exact same strain... Uh, yeah, you can you can tell that there's dirt on it. It it kind of uh, it's not like it tastes dirty. It just kind of makes outdoor pot taste more similar to each other. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, because they're they're not as the indoor stuff is so specific to the strain because there's nothing else interrupting the taste at all. Right, like yeah. in, indoor, you've got the strain's genetic output, and that's it. Outdoors, you have the strain's genetic output plus whatever was in the air for three months. Can you talk a little bit about the strain stuff? Because you were talking about it earlier, and you were saying how you could explain some of that to me. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like, so basically, weed starts with sativas. Okay. And you've got the the classics are, you know, Colombian, Mexican, Thai. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these plants are the like that 70s weed, you know, okay. uh, where... Panama red or whatever, all of those tended to be sort of equator what we call equatorial sativas. So they grow best at the near the equator right. in in a constant twelve twelve. And they want a lot of humidity. No. Well, I mean that kind of depends. Okay. You know, you you can grow in low or high humidity. Uh, low is better for more more trichomes. Got it. Um, and mold. But um, no doubt, people growing in the Colombian jungles were growing in high humidity. Yeah. Um, but the those plants all are super tall, um, super uh, up in terms of the buzz, mm-hmm. um, sort of more energetic. Right. Uh, and um, they really don't grow in America. Okay. You can try, but they won't finish because they're expecting to grow all the way through November or December. Oh, wow. So Because in Colombia, December's summer. I mean, it's 12 hours of light, 12 hours of dark all the time, yeah. and it's warm. So the plant's like, oh, yeah, I've got four months left. And you try and grow it in California, you're like, fuck, you can't keep growing for four months. You're going to die. Like, yeah. It's not going to work out. Especially, or Minnesota, forget it, right? Yeah, impossible. You're just going to free. It's all going to freeze. So nobody grew weed in the U.S. because all of the genetics were essentially designed for these crazy tropical countries mm-hmm. that we're not. Um, and then the big change was basically uh, after Afghanistan, um, I guess sort of after the Russians invaded Afghanistan um, and the sort of government breakdown and everything mm-hmm. like that, the Afghans had for an incredibly long time cultivated plants specifically for making hash. Okay. And those plants are the, where this is where the indicas come from. Got it. And there are these short, bushy plants that just were frosty as fuck. And compared to the cannabis sativa, what we call land races that were in the equatorial sativas, um, land race is the term for um, a plant that's been grown outside for so long that it's acclimated 
really the farmer has acclimated it to the location. Okay. So they the plants that don't work in Colombia, they just they call don't them grow. and they pull them out of the garden mm. and they keep growing. The other ones are the ones that are robust. It's because they like that area. Pe people grow them for hundreds of years or whatever, decades, and those become land races. So we had the land races from uh, the tropical equatorial region, and then we have Afghanistan and and Pakistan and the Hindu Kush mountains. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's where that term Kush comes from. So Kush and is always considered an indicate when you hear the word Kush? Yeah. I mean, okay. so we'll, we'll get to what the okay. Kushes are. Got that, it. That, that comes a little bit later. So basically you had these these plants that nobody really knew about in the wet in Cali in Cali I mean you could say all of America but all of the people really doing a lot of experimentation with plant genetics were in California, California um, mostly Northern California at that time and we're talking now like, like early, 80s? early 80s yeah so what happened was hippies started heading to uh, I guess walk the Silk Road or yeah. some shit through the Kush Mountains through the Himalayas, and they would come across this Afghan hash, and there were certain people that went were like planning to be marijuana cultivators when they got home. They would go to the guys that had the hash and say, "Hey, what plants are these from? Can can I get some seeds?" and and they would get seeds, because you know, of course, hash doesn't have seeds in it, so it's not like you buy a bag of Mexican and it has seeds, yeah. and you can go ahead and try and grow them. But you buy something from Afghanistan and it would be hash. So you have to go, you have to farm. go there. Yeah. yeah. And so people started bringing them back in the 80s. And what they discovered was, first of all, that the effect was different. It was more mellow. Wow. Second of all, the plants were much shorter. Okay. And so they could be grown indoors under artificial light. Wow. And so it wasn't until those Afghan plants got introduced into the genetic mix that Californian growers created strains that can actually grow indoors because all of those Mexican and Thai, if you tried to grow it indoors, it would be like huge. hit the ceiling and yeah. you know, nobody knew how to deal with it. it. People wouldn't do it. Wow. And if you grew outside, it had to be in a greenhouse that stayed warm until November, December. Mm -hmm. So these Afghan plants, they harvested earlier, like October. Um, they stayed shorter. They were incredibly frosty and they had this new mellow effect um and so people just went crazy breeding the sativas and the indicas together once they had this this stuff so haze was back before the introduction of the indicas and it was really an effort to make um the land races grow in california successful oh, wow but they it's a super sativa so if you ever see a haze mm -hmm. it's the type of thing that can you know uncontrolled might give you a panic attack. Yeah, because right? it's very heady. Very heady mm. and very anxiety-inducing. You know, people love it, especially in Amsterdam. Oh, really? There's this, <clears throat> the coffee culture for the coffee shops is has traditionally been focused more in the haze world wow. because they don't want people falling asleep in the <laughs> coffee shops. <laughs> and people like the, the hazes, but... There's also this goal wow. of not having people pass out. Interesting. Um, it is. And, you know, here in America, I'd say once the, um, the indicas started really getting hybridized with the sativas, 
you know, that's when you start to see kind bud showing yeah. up. Yeah. Right. That was the first thing I ever heard about when I was in, you know, Minnesota. We were smoking weed in high school was getting some KB, getting the some KB. kind bud. Yeah. It was like, wow, look at that. It's It looks different. It's a bud. Yeah. I mean, before I saw the KB, it was like Mexican bags where there were no distinguishable buds. No, it was just like it looked like a bunch of grass clippings yeah. that had been compressed. And it was probably half catnip anyways by yeah. the time it got to, to Boston. Um, no, the KB, that was the revolution. So that was the plants were shorter and people started realizing that you could grow indoors using streetlights. Oh, my God. That's sodium halide, right? Yeah. That's interesting. High-pressure sodium. Yeah. Halide is the metal halide, which is also a type of streetlight. Okay. But it's blue. Got it. And the high-pressure sodium is like yellow-orange. Right. So it's more like sun. Well, they're both great for growing, but the high-pressure sodium is better for flowering. Okay. For, like, God. really dense flowers because, well— People like to say that it's because it imitates autumn sun. Mm -hmm. That isn't quite right. The autumn sun <laughs> is not as strong as the summer sun. So, yeah. <clears throat> But the spectrum matters, and the plant does pay attention to uh, a few critical frequencies of light, and oh. HPS is a perfect fit. Hmm. Um, so, you know, many of the best cultivators still use, essentially, streetlights wow. to grow, like... And meanwhile, streetlights are now all LED, mm -hmm. but not a, definitely not everybody grows with LEDs. We um, just switched LEDs here, and we had to put blackout curtains in because it's so goddamn bright. So fucking bright. It's terrible. It's I like know. This horrible blue light. It's like, ugh. I know. And you know, uh, back in the day, everybody had yellow headlights, and now everyone has these super bright the blue headlights. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes it harder to drive. It's There's a lot of glare with mm -hmm. that, that blue light, but... Um, Plants love it in veg. Okay. So if people usually use the bluer tinge uh, before flowering, um, it encourages vegetative growth. So you mentioned the haze, the whole haze history. So how many different subsets are there? Like you have like the haze, you have Kush. Oh, there, I mean, you can't. A, I'm not sure I could count all the subsets. Is there a ton of them? Yeah. Well, I mean now. Because I don't know, I know very little about this, but I hear people say something like, oh, this is a true Kush. Or, okay. Like, so, what does that mean? So that means nothing. The, I mean, it, it means something in the sense that those of us in the L.A. scene and California generally, um, we all have in our head what Kush means. Okay. It doesn't mean anything in terms of, if we had DNA, I'm not sure we could identify Kushes. Okay. But you know it when you smoke it. Really? Okay, and what is that exactly, you think? Um, well, first, the, the best examples are OG Kush right. and Bubba Kush. Well, OG Kush is like a specialty of yours, right? It, it was for a long right. time, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, it's not a fun plant to grow. It, it, <laughs> what does that mean? Basically, you know, all your other plants are doing great, and the OGs look like they're dying. Really? They're not, but they kind of look like they are. Wow. Or... Let's say you make a bunch of clones. Uh, all your clones do great, but half of the OG clones just die. Okay, they're just sensitive. They're, not, they're it's super they're sensitive, huh? super finicky, and doesn't yield that much. Okay. So that was why it was, uh, in the heyday, that's why it was worth so much money. People liked it a lot, and it was hard to, hard to produce. In L.A., it was like the only thing that people 
wanted on top shelf. It was like the top shelf was 50% OG, or they'd say OGs, like we have 15 OGs. Mm -hmm. um, but they all were very similar, right? made by different growers, and that's why they'd have 15. There's a bunch of different names. The famous ones are SFV, San Fernando Valley OG, Tahoe OG, Ghost OG. Um, there are many, many of those, and I've, I've grown all of them, and they, um, they all are very similar. Okay. Um, they're, since the heyday of OG, sort of the next thing that came along in the California world was the Girl Scout cookies. Okay. And That's what Rob talks about all the time. <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing about both OG and GSC is that they were the earliest um, very high THC strains. Okay. So people might not have known why they liked it so much. But, but that's it, why. But once we could test, we learned that some OGs were 26%. Wow. Some Girl Scout cookies were 30%. That's really high. Yeah. And so people would say, oh, you know, I love that Girl Scout cookies because after I've been smoking all day and all night... I bring out the, the Girl Scout cookies, and I can actually still get high. And wow. that was because it was so incredibly strong. I had no idea. So it's like basically it's like wine versus beer almost in that sense where it's just a higher octane thing. Yeah, it is. But I think that, that what we can't discount, and some a lot of people do, is that it, it definitely isn't just potency. Those strains had an entourage effect that worked so well with its high potency okay. that people just love the high. Got it. Okay. And so, you know, both of those, OG and GSC, are very heavy strains, um, but they blow your mind first in a, in a really positive way. I feel like I need, to, I feel like I would uh, really enjoy smoking OG uh, now that I've heard all this. Because I think, I think there's so many things, especially like in cooking or any, any type of, um, olfactory experience if you know a lot about what's about to happen you can like look out for it and you can enjoy it more you know oh yeah if you just have like a little hint of oh it's it's like it's like if you were served food with a blindfold on you probably you wouldn't probably enjoy it as much if the chef if the instead of like the chef's like so this is this is a mediterranean sea bass with a hint of lemon and we have like this type of thing in there so like, okay so that's what i'm looking out for and i found it yeah, that's, that's, that sort of thing is just so much more interesting. I mean, I think a lot of it can be learned, right? Mm -hmm. And so if, if, if no one told you to look out for something, yeah, I'm not a wine drinker, but the sommeliers serve that purpose in restaurants. Yeah. They, they, they prepare you for the black currant and the right. chocolate notes. And then when you try it, you're like, oh, yeah, I guess... I do taste yeah, it. Yeah, I do taste it. Maybe you don't, right. but it's like if you, you think you do, but you if do. You, if you hadn't been told that, you'd be like, oh, it tastes like wine. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, there's yeah. there's definitely some truth to that. Oh, that's but interesting. I've always felt that pot is, is much more, um, m has much broader sort of smell opportunities than wine. Um, oh, yeah. And, I, and because it results in a different high, I I'll often find myself feeling like the whole wine, talking about wine flavor is like, who cares? Like at the end of the day, all it does, so it tastes okay and you get drunk like everything else. Whereas with the weed, you get a totally different high. Yeah. Some people would disagree a little bit, but I think the discrepancy, not the discrepancy, but the difference the between Delta, yeah. the disparity between uh, types of drunk off wine is not even close to the difference you get between different strains of weed. 
Yeah, I mean, I honestly, like, I remember people always saying you get a different uh, drunk from Jägermeister. Yeah. And I'm not sure any of that's true. I mean, maybe yeah. absinthe because right. it has another chemical in it, right? Yep. Then that should make you feel different. But I don't see how just, you know, ethanol is going to get you a different buzz. Right. Um, it's pretty much the same. People would argue with me, I know. And, and because I'm not a drinker, I don't have a lot to stand on. They would so. say the terps and the wine, bro. Right. They right. have an entourage effect. <laughs> and the terps mixed with the, uh, you know, with the sediment. And you've got this right. well, whole the, thing Well, you know what on. that is? That's terroir. <laughs> that's the terroir. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's terroir. I wonder what the terroir of uh, some of my weed's going to be. Because I did a thing where... I take aged dog shit and I put it in the very bottom of all Please my plants. Please don't do that. Well, it's supposed to be good because it's got a bunch of potash in it. It's one of the few fertilizers that has potash. I put it in the very bottom, the very bottom of the thing. So I mean, look, that's super It's green. been aged for six months. That's super green of you and all, but don't, <laughs> don't tell anyone. Really? Why? Well, I mean, you know, we used to joke. Well, that I just did. So. <laughs> you're, no, 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 no. Yeah. The, the, we used to joke uh, when people would ask us what our technique was. Right. Um, we'd be like, oh, um, we use uh, night water. Oh, right. Night water, which is basically runoff from a, a toilet, right? I believe night water is your first piss in the morning. Oh, it is? Oh, okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> I, I mean, it, well, might just I be, it might be what's left That's in the funny. urinal, in, in the bucket. Well, because night know. soil is feces. Is straight yeah. up shit. Yeah. Yeah. So God. night soil. Yeah, so obviously it's super green to do that, but there is something disgusting about it. So It is, but I mean, also I feel like... <laughs> You use all there's all kinds of manures out there. Like you use chicken manure. I use like uh, I have a bunch of alpaca, a bunch of dried alpaca shit from a friend of mine who has a couple of alpaca. <laughs> alpaca shit is supposed to be one of the best bioavailable fertilizers there is, even better than rabbit shit actually. Uh huh. Uh -huh. And I've been using. I grind that up and put the powder in the, with the soil, and wow. I, th I think it works good. And I I did a bunch of reading about dog shit, and there's a lot of people who say <laughs> it's bad, but I think they also. They negate the fact that if you you can compost anything, right? Like you can compost an entire fucking dead steer if it's if it's hot enough or if it's in the ground long enough <laughs> right. to get broken down by. Like I, I had a bunch of dead um, crawfish. I buried them in a bucket, put a bunch of soil on them, and put a bunch of bricks over them so the raccoons couldn't get to them. Left them for about six months. Dug it up. Had this amazing, super rich. Of worm vermiculite, or it's a, it's a called worm vermiculite. It's called worm castings, worm right? Worm castings, sure. But it was filled with all the silica matter from mm -hmm. them digesting the the shells. Yeah, and that stuff was like, that was like rocket well, fuel. It has something called chitinase in it. Ooh, I've never with, heard that word before. So the the shells are have so, uh, something called chitin in it, which okay. is also in the exoskeletons of um, insects. Okay. Um, but it'd be true with with shells from crawfish, I think. I think so, because they're and basically bugs. Yeah, and basically... <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, what's amazing about that is it, um, it... I believe it tastes terrible to bugs. That makes sense. So I if you feed it to the plants, they put it into their bloodstream, as it were. The bugs take a bite... And they're like, this is disgusting. Wow! So and you're basically creating a, a an herbicide, not herbicide, but a, a pesticide. Pest yeah. yeah, but it's 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 as clean and non toxic as wow, a pesticide that's can be. Yeah, yeah, it's a good it's a good trick. Mm -hmm. um, 
you can buy insect frass, I think it's called. Frass. Frass. I think I've heard that word before. Yeah, well, do you have a mosquito catcher or anything? No, I have a bunch of lemongrass, but that's just a deterrent. Well, if you have like a bug killer <laughs> right? and it has a basket where they accumulate, that's basically what insect frass is. Oh, it's just dead insect. Lungs. Yeah. Interesting. But again, the worms will eat it, yeah. shit it out, then the plants can absorb it, and it'll protect them. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> it's crazy. All that stuff. Um We've talked about so much here. We've kind of gone pretty long. Is there anything you think you want to – is there anything that we were talking about that we, like, skipped over or something like that that would be interesting to talk about real quick? And there's just – it's kind of like infinity, really, here in terms of Of talking about cultivation stuff. Because I'm just infinitely fascinated by all this stuff. Well, I mean, I think – you know, I I think it's just worth noting that Podtones as a product is – it's the culmination of everything I've been trying to do for 15 years. Yeah, a long time. Make great weed and then extract it that, in a way that totally captures the experience and then deliver it to people in a way that is effortless. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if this stuff sounds interesting, you should definitely try the product because yeah. it's, it'll, it'll give you the true entourage effect of the original strains. And I, could, I even stand behind it because it's like, I really know very little, and it's something where it's like, wow, this is, I can tell. I can taste it. My wife, who's, you know, she's a big-time smoker, she's just like, holy shit, this is this is very different. And also the thing, the big thing I think is so interesting about it, when I first read about it, was, oh, all this other crap is, like, trash. It's so, I, I mean... Obviously, everyone's getting older all the time, but as the older you get, you try to get more health conscious, especially with all this vape stuff. You're just like, man, this stuff, like, I don't have kids, but honestly, if I did, I would probably, I'd rather you smoke cigarettes than vape nicotine, because at least it's like, that's a plant, it's just a broken down plant. It's harsh, so you can't smoke a lot of cigarettes, because it's just, the feedback it gives you is it makes <laughs> right. it hard. You can't right. smoke a pack of cigarettes, but you can smoke a fucking whole jewel in a day and download a, like an amazing amount of nicotine in your brain that's going to destroy it. Yeah. And I feel like reading about all the stuff with Podtones, how you guys, how the rosin process is so vastly different than everything else other vape people use. Like, man, why would I ever fuck with that and put that in my body when you can have this other thing that's better, even just in the taste sense and the experience sense, that even if that wasn't even there, just right. the health aspect of it alone, right. you're like, oh man, this makes sense. It's right. like eating like organic m- meat instead of fucking McDonald's patties. Well, I appreciate that you uh, you you speak so highly of it. Thank you. I mean, look, I I definitely agree. Uh, you know, I've been doing this a long time, and distilled THC simply did not exist until a few years ago, mm-hmm. and so. The idea that, you know, almost all of our competitors are selling you a vape that's made with distilled THC and um, industrial flavorings. <laughs> industrial flavorings is like a, the worst band name ever. Or maybe <laughs> agricultural byproducts. Yeah. I'm not sure what you want to call it. I like them, industrial flavorings. It just sounds like, ugh. Well, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that's it's true. You could also call them industrial uh, cleaning Products. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, so <laughs> the 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 fact is that shit did not exist eight years ago, and 
now we've gone through this whole process of everyone thinking it's the bee's knees uh, because, well, I would say generally because it's, it's often created by people who are not serious smokers but mm -hmm. are pretty good chemists, and so they believe that the goal is to make the purest extract you can get, and they strip away all the good stuff while getting this pure THC, and then they have to add something back in, and the whole thing seems like an exercise in futility yeah. in terms of getting what pot, the true promise of pot. But the reason you see it everywhere is because it's really inexpensive. And yeah. so, you know, our product is a premium product because it is not cheap to make. Um, the distilled THC tends to be, you know, you take whatever the cheapest source you can get is, yeah. and then you clean it up. And so, yeah, it's clean once you're done, but you were starting with some some maybe some garbage mm -hmm. um and distillation hides that it was garbage we can't hide that we have to start with super high quality buds and if we don't you're gonna not like it so yeah. basically that's it you know i don't really understand why the alternative uh took off other than to say obviously the convenience of a vape whatever is in it um, has outweighed the downsides for a very long time. But I think also there's been no no, no option. You know, right. rosin, we're, we're really the only rosin, 100% uh, pure rosin vaporizer. Um, part of it is because we have a secret sauce in terms of how we actually get uh, the, the rosin into the vaporizer. It's tricky and... It's proprietary. It's proprietary, right? Yeah. And so you don't see a lot of them out there. But it's also because it's more expensive and, you know, people are trying to make lowest common denominator products that they can sell large quantities of. And, you know, I respect that, too. There's, you know, uh, Old English 800 and Mad Dog 2020, you know, they serve a purpose and yeah. they're inexpensive and people can get the alcohol that they want. Mm -hmm. They don't have to spend it on Chateau Neuf de Pop, right? But the fact is, we know that why those things are cheaper you know old english 800 is beer made from corn just 100 percent right you can put corn. in your car <laughs> made, yeah, <laughs> you can burn it yeah i mean it's made from corn syrup i guess and then uh you know mad dog 2020 i learned years ago is made from the grapes from the bottom of the vine that get that are the worst oh so the there's a whole like layer of grapes at the bottom that don't get enough sun get a yeah. lot of dust get a lot of bugs and they, they, they siphon that off and send it to be turned That's into funny. fortified wine. Fortified. So, you know, I think of those uh, distillate vapes are a lot like fortified mm -hmm. wine. And it doesn't, it, it's, it's not to say that it doesn't give p tons of people the experience they want. It, it may very well. But there is a better experience to be had, but it's more premium. So just like fancy wine, you know, on a special day. You might choose to spend, <laughs> right? right? And our product is like that, too. So, you know, when you feel like having the greatest experience, you can get it. But, you know, it's going to cost you a little bit more. Podtones.co. That's right. Thanks for being here, Alex. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you, Johnny. It's been a real pleasure. Take care.